we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Well, once again, we're back with more evidence of the dangers of these shots. Um, Everywhere you turn now, there's testimony now, including in the South Carolina legislature, as they look at how to deal with future pandemics, and every state should be doing this outside of uh, Florida. I don't know of any others here in Alabama. We certainly aren't doing that. Uh, I think every state, every uh, elected official uh, owes it to their citizens to have some inquiry like this so that there can be truth, so that this would never impact us like they've done to us in the past, in the past three and a half years. And with that, the uh, we're going to start with a medical article, like we usually do. And Jordan, do you want to give us the details of an article showing once again that these shots are more injurious than the uh, infection itself? Yeah, so again, this this actually amazingly comes from the radiology journals, and uh, this basically involves them looking at asymptomatic patients that were getting uh, PET scans or CT pets, which basically fancy way to look at that is if uh, there's inflammation or more metabolic issues in a certain place, which is why pet cancers are useful for identifying cancers, because cancers are usually things that have a higher metabolic rate. Uh, This uh, is going to show more uptake of a particular sugar that is uh, tagged with a radio tracer. And that radio tracer uh, once you go through the machine, can tell you where those areas are. And what they did was basically look back at about, um, you know, a, about a thousand people and assess uh, where, uh, you know, where people had differing uptakes in their heart and looked at them uh, comparatively to whether they were vaccinated or not. And so uh, I think this is a good good way to assess, is there anything going on? Now, the people had to be asymptomatic. So this is kind of an assessment to see where somebody might have heart inflammation, but doesn't have chest pain, doesn't have um, uh, evidence of cardiac marker changes, those kind of things. Instead, this is just somebody who's appearing for a typical outpatient PET scan and happens to have increased tracer uptake in his heart. Uh, and then compared that to uh, people uh, based on their vaccination status. And uh, it's pretty interesting, the outcomes. So the outcomes were uh, basically asymptomatic patients who underwent the PET scans one to 180 days after their second SARS-CoV-2 vaccination showed increased myocardial uh, uptake of the glucose uptake on images compared to non-vaccinated patients. But patients imaged greater than 180 days after vaccination did not. So that might surprise you because it's probably not going to get much press, but uh, that is not a good thing. So, uh, Stuart, give me a little uh, insight into this. I know you probably understand what they're talking about as well, but maybe you can boil it down to people in an easier, understandable way. Well, um, taking it from a different angle, 
Remember when Dr. Counts gave her wonderful presentation about uh, she's a neurologist, a neurologist, and she was talking about the um, a year ago, the average from the shot until a stroke was 150 days. And about six months ago, she gave another presentation updated with the data showing the average is 190 days. The point is that these shots perpetually cause problems. And uh, what this uh, study paper uh, demonstrates is that there is injury to the uh, myocardium, the muscle of the heart, and uh, it can be demonstrably uh, explained on these MRIs, PET scans, I mean, and uh, they can, uh, it's due to the shot, not the infection. And the reason we know that is because people that get these shots produce perpetually uh, abundantly more spike protein, the toxin of the virus, abundantly more spike protein than people who just get infected. And so uh, this is not surprising. Dr. McCullough, the cardiologist guru, uh, has been explaining this to us well before um, Damar Hamlin, the the Bills uh, cornerback. But uh, it's not surprising, sadly. It's once again, I think, more and more as time goes by, more and more evidence uh, reveals the dangers of these things. And thankfully, despite the <laughs> despite the objections to those in the medical industrial complex that are either trapped or blinded to the foolishness of the medical industrial complex, uh, despite their uh, these people's these other doctors and the like, despite their proclamations, virtually no one believes them anymore about these shots because these shots. Everyone recognizes, almost everyone recognizes, are not effective and they are not safe. And they can scream that they are all they want <clears throat> with the microphones that they own, but they are just wrong. Whether they are lying or incompetent, I don't know, but they refuse to evaluate the evidence that we try and we've tried and we begged them for dialogue, but they just refuse to accept the reality right before us. Yeah, I think that's the there's another article um, more just in kind of a news update and FOIA request looking at the Department of Defense uh, going before the CDC to talk about what they had seen in their, uh, you know, in their uptake of this vaccine in their, I guess you would, you know, their servicemen. And they were worried about myocarditis because they were seeing it in their data. And they were trying to see if the CDC also saw that. And what was pretty apparent was the CDC, for some reason, even in the vSAFE data, which is the way that you're supposed to communicate with um, the, uh, you know, pe- the federal government about your vaccine issues, uh, myocarditis data was not really even um, acquired. It wasn't the questions weren't even asked, uh, which is surprising because. Um, they knew even in their original safety adverse event, you know, expectation. So when you have a new product, you basically put a list down of all the possible things that could go wrong based on 
uh, what you saw in clinical trials, what you saw in animal trials. Uh, and you basically have that list of almost obviously things can occur outside that list. But first of all, that list, I think if I remember, Stuart, was like 1,200 to 1,300 things yeah. uh, in this. Um, but uh, that list is important because it's kind of in the wheelhouse of what you would expect. And that uh, really, that data was not being evaluated, at least for myocarditis specifically, uh, by the CDC. So therefore, when the Department of Defense went with their data, uh, the CDC said, oh, well, I guess, you know, we just... Anyway, we're not seeing it. Well, they weren't seeing it because they weren't even looking. Um, and they should have started at least looking the second the Department of Defense uh, came with their data of concern. But the problem is, is the DOD then basically doubled down on the opposite and said they're just going to follow the CDC's guidelines, um, which, again, shows you how deferring to the expert or deferring to the nameless uh, three-letter organization as your guide uh, is not great for patient health. Yeah, that's um, that's a pretty good summary because, like you were mentioning, they knew this, uh, the internal confidential documents between the FDA and uh, Pfizer, they clearly knew of these 1,400 injuries and in, in, uh, early on, and they were very odd injuries. And like a, a well-known doctor on our side uh, pointed out to me, within the first 10 weeks, they knew of all these weird, quirky kind of problems. So they knew about them because they were looking for them, a lot of them. And so um, way before the 10-week uh, uh, paper came out at the end of February of 21, they knew these injuries, injury types would occur, and they were looking for them. And uh, yeah. there's no debating that. It's uh, unquestioned. Uh, that was part of our testimony in the uh, hearing we had last year in the federal hearing down in Tampa. They've known these things were going to do these do this. This isn't speculation. And then, yeah, and I will have to remind you the actual Lieutenant Colonel Harry Chang. The reason he suggested not having a pause is he said a pause of the Pfizer Moderna administration much like the J&J blood clot pause, will have an adverse impact on U.S. and California or Canadian vaccination rates. So again, I'm unsure why an actual vaccination rate is what saves people. Are you, Stuart? Yeah, no, is, especially okay. from a shot that uh, kills that you doesn't, hurts you. Yeah, and doesn't stop spread. So uh, it's, it's just crazy to me that they're so focused on vaccination rates instead of whether the vaccination, first of all, harms people, and second of all, even works. Right. Yeah, it's, um, it reminds me, recently I had a discussion with a internist, and I asked him, uh, and he really didn't want to talk because he is completely bought on to the lies, bought into the lies, and uh, he knew I have not. And I said, you know, Bob, uh, I just have a very simple question. Can you please explain why we would use um, messenger RNA for the only toxin out of the 29 proteins that make up the virus? Why would we use messenger RNA for the one toxin to, to force our bodies to produce millions of copies, probably billions of copies of that known toxin? And he kind of shook his head and discussed and said, Stuart, I don't know all about that. I just know that 
the shot saved lives. Yeah. And I asked him, well, apparently you, you don't want to discuss it, but that wasn't what they swore to us when they gave the shot out. When they gave the shot out, they said it would prevent infection and uh, symptomatic infection. And uh, he said, I don't know about that, but if you don't think these shots save lives, you're crazy as hell. Well, okay. If you don't want to discuss, logically discuss the science, that's the trap you end up in. And I uh, hate it for him. And of course, we want to dialogue with these people, and we want to use reason and science. But when they're incapable of doing it for whatever reason, oh well. But uh, we're just grateful that on America Out Loud Pulse and iHeartRadio, we have a platform that is being well-received, and uh, the people outside of the scientific trap, uh, quote-unquote scientific trap uh, of medicine, uh, the vast majority of people agree with us. And just, again, going back to this whole kind of what I would call this rollout that was um, amazingly <laughs> incompetent. Um, there's a couple things in this article that talk about even a doctor of Ohio, a uh, 36-year-old, had myocarditis following the vaccination in January 2021. Um, he said it took them uh, months to reach out to him. And his quote was, I could have been dead by then. Uh, the other thing was, uh, in early 2021, the backlog of VAERS reports increased to nearly 94,000. Okay. Again, they hired a contractor to follow uh, all the vaccine adverse uh, events. Uh, and that contractor was promised there would be no more than about a thousand a day. Uh, well, uh, within uh, by December of 2020, we're literally two weeks to three weeks since the rollout of the first vaccinations. Uh, that was not true. It was overwhelmed. And they had to hire an additional 300 contract uh, people uh, to try to get through this backlog. And so, again, I think this, again, just looking at signals, okay, uh, the general dynamics, which is the information technology company that increased the speed at which they processed, but were unable to keep up with increased surgeon reports at current staffing levels. And so they had to hire 300 additional people and they still couldn't get the backlog down. Um, all that said, there's your signal. Stuart, yeah. there's your signal. Um, I don't care if it's myocarditis. I don't care if it's whatever. But when you have uh, a contractor uh, that's probably got a big, lengthy, you know, well-paid government contract uh, saying, look, uh, this is 10 times what we promised, were promised in terms of how much we we're going to have to do. Uh, that's your signal, too, that there's something wrong. And when there's something wrong in medicine, usually the best thing to do is pause. Uh, not throw everything out. I'm not saying that. Again, I think in this case, it's pretty obvious we should throw everything out. But at the time, at least a pause uh, was what should have been done. And I don't know why a pause would have been a bad thing, except for the fact that, again, just like you said earlier, if you're focused on something that has nothing to do with the purpose or safety of the people uh, that you're trying to implement it in, uh, it's, it, it just shows you that, again, there's disconnect. Yeah. And I, t I tell you, the best summary of, the, of this, in a way, was in, this, uh, in the spring edition of the a Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons. 
And the title of the article was The Efficacy of COVID-19 Vaccine Boosters Against Severe Illness and Death. A Scientific Fact or Wishful Myth. And they go through all of their studies and itemize the flaws in them. And in fact, a lot in some of them, where they said the conclusion was opposite to the um, to the findings in the paper, which is something up until maybe this has been occurring for decades in our industry in these journals, uh, but uh, it's brand new to me to my understanding of how they do this. I don't think in the past they really did do this as much because uh, the studies. Um, even though the journals have been co-opted, I don't think they made such outrageous conclusions based on the opposite science within the paper and got away with it. Yeah, and then lastly, as we close up, there's a paper we'll include at the bottom, but it's basically from Trial Site News. Swedish scientist Annette Stahl, CDC used flawed Israeli analysis to incorrectly promote COVID-19 vaccine versus infection risk. And I think if she goes through it pretty hardcore, Trial Site News is a pretty medically oriented um, uh, website. But it is uh, kind of interesting that uh, even the CDC takes data that does says the opposite of what they're trying of what their point is and flips it to make it look different. So, well, with that uh, on America Out Loud Pulse. I'm Dr. Stuart Tankersley with Dr. Jordan Vaughn um, on iHeartRadio. Thank you for joining us. Um, we'll be right back after this break. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discussed the harmful effects of spike protein in your body, and now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has. 
creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. So we are back on America Out Loud Pulse. This is Dr. Jordan Vaughn joining you again. One thing I wanted to mention was there is a recent big proponent of vaccinations that has also recently stated that he did not get last year's booster and he's not going to get this year's booster. And I think this is interesting given the fact that he was part of a committee that voted for getting this vaccination out to everyone, including six months and older. Yet he himself is not somebody that is going to be uh, partaking in the very thing that he approved. So given that, I want to hear from uh, Dr. Paul Offit. Dr. Paul Offit is what I would call the world's vaccine expert. He is a pediatrician and uh, infectious disease expert, as well as vaccine as expert out of the uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which um, is a place that uh, is very well known for its vaccine research, as well as Dr. Paul Offit himself being a huge advocate of vaccines. So it is interesting to hear what he is about to say, and I will let him state it himself. I I mean, I think what, what, what the CDC needs to do is they need to tell us who is getting hospitalized this year and who's dying? What are their ages? Um, what exactly are their comorbidities? Did they get a vaccine? If so, when was their last dose? Most importantly, did they take an antiviral, which I think uh, Dr. Griffin on uh, his clinical updates consistently makes that point about how we tend to overlook that. And, um, and who are they? And, and then in, in concert with academic immunologists, I would like to see a sort of a more longitudinal look at how frequencies of T-cells, especially cytotoxic T-cells, are holding up over time. I mean, I'll take myself as an example. I've had three doses of the Wuhan 1 strain. My last dose was in November of 2021. I had a a mild two-day infection in in, uh, May of 2022 with what was probably a BA2 strain because that was prominent at the time. I think I'm protected. I didn't get last year's bivalent vaccine. I'm not getting this year's vaccine because I think I have high frequencies of T-cells. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, will I would like the academic immunologist in concert with CDC epidemiologists to answer those questions. And also many people say, all right, I understand your arguments, but what's the downside for getting a different COVID booster every year? Is there, is there any? Right. And actually, that's that's one thing that kind of bothers me a lot is that when people say, well, there's no downside. First of all, any any time you take any medicine or any biological, there's a downside. If it has an upside, it'll have a downside. The downside may be rare. It may be um, um, very rare. But nonetheless, there's always a downside. And we're going to find out about this this vaccine over time. It is a novel strategy. We certainly were surprised by myocarditis and pericarditis. And we'll see whether or not over time, you know, when we're five years into this, 10 years into this, 15 years into this, whether there's, there's any evidence of residual myocardial disease. Because the reason you have myocarditis is you're making immune response to your own heart muscle. I mean, it appears to be generally transient and short-lived, but there's invariably a spectrum of, of disease. And, and we'll find out about that over time. 
time. And, and I think it's perfectly willing to, reasonable to take those risks if the benefits are clear. But when the benefits aren't clear, then it's not so reasonable to take risk, even rare risk. That last minute was one of the more reasonable things I have heard any uh, academic infectious disease uh, person say. First of all, it seems like this guy is using his own head and making his recommendations based on his own belief about his own health, which, by the way, is what physicians should be doing for their patients. But unfortunately, not everybody has that ability, nor do they have a a medical degree uh, to be able to do that. So instead, what needs to happen is a guy like him needs to make sure that the public messaging that most recently includes a football star saying get the flu shot and your COVID booster on the same day, that there needs to be more nuance. Personally, I think the nuance needs to be no way in heck should anyone touch this COVID vaccine. But again, that is just uh, my opinion based on the people that I take care of that have been utterly harmed by it and utterly harmed by a vaccine that he openly states has downsides. And that might be the first time that you've heard a vaccinologist, whatever that actually means, but somebody who's an expert in vaccine, uh, you know, basically vaccine design, vaccine uptake, and vaccine efficacy, say that there are risks, risks that are significant, risks that are significant enough for him to say, uh, I'm opting out of the last one and the one before that. So here's a guy that pushed the vaccine and continues to. He was, you know, somebody that openly is at least speaking out and saying, there's a little bit of madness here as we continue to boost people. But he isn't saying it's strong enough. Instead, he still says that there is good. The problem when we're talking about something that is treating a non-existent thing. And what I mean is that is you were taking an injection to somebody who's otherwise healthy. It is very different when you consider somebody who is ill. The the risk or the foresight or the uh, recommendations I would give to somebody who's ill from something are usually quite different than those that I would say hey, you're completely healthy. Let me give you something that might prevent something that might happen. The statistical as well as the risk uh, profile that you should have is much different. And so when you're actually taking someone who's otherwise healthy to prevent them from a risk that is not necessarily guaranteed, okay, but also that has a downside. And the downside, as he states, They don't know. Over time, we'll figure it out. Does that seem like a reasonable thing? If we don't know if even the myocarditis and pericarditis, how often it happens, not only how often it happens, but when it happens, is it something that's causing long-term damage? He seems to be very coy and says, well, five years into this, 10 years into this, 15 years into this. Uh, Again, I go back to the reason that vaccines historically take a long time for approval. And the reason that they take a long time for approval is, again, we are recommending an otherwise completely healthy person to take something with a downside 
And that downside needs to be known incomplete. Known that whatever happens, what is the downside risk? Is that downside risk significant? Does it last? All those questions aren't something you answer on the fly. Those might be something you answer on the fly when you're intervening on, in somebody that has a deadly illness themselves, because at that point, the benefits outweigh the risk and the risk a lot of times are not even, uh, you know, comparable. But when somebody is otherwise completely healthy and you're recommending an injection to prevent them from a possible outcome, that may not even be something that it actually does. As we found out, everything they promised about the vaccine, that it would keep you from getting it, that it would prevent you from spreading it, that it would keep you from getting sick, that it would keep you out of the hospital, and that it would keep you from dying, were all untrue. And so given that the upsides that they state have been completely false, the question would be, what is the truth of the downsides? And I can tell you one truth that isn't true, that it is completely safe. Completely safe is utter nonsense. It does not matter if the safest thing that medicine has ever produced has been put into somebody's body. There is always a risk. There is no such thing as complete safety. And especially when you're dealing with someone that's otherwise healthy, and most importantly, someone that's young, someone over six months, up to to 12 years old, gosh, even higher than that, up to 21. I mean, you are talking about the most vulnerable population that isn't allowed to do what Paul Offit does, which is make an assessment on whether he should take a vaccine or not. Crazy thing is that Paul Offit, in the context of this disease, basically when everyone was being forced upon vaccine, you know, vaccines, he basically said, it is not even your decision on whether you get a vaccine or not. So again, I will actually go ahead and have you listen to, again, what he said. This is a very different conversation. Uh, and that conversation is not, so he's actually talking to CNN right here. And this is what he says. It is not your right as an American citizen to catch and transmit a potentially fatal infection. So. That just shows you that in the context, first of all, physicians that don't have a sound understanding of what, first of all, demagoguery is in some ways, but also of the limitation of their own medicines. That is basically going to mask their understanding of what they should be recommending. The interesting thing about Paul Offit, I think in this uh, clip where he says that you should have to take it, was at that time, again, as the director of the Vaccine Education Center at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, he was believing all the hype. And again, that is a common fallacy among people that are biased for an outcome. You could say, and probably even as you interview him today, he might tell you he was hopeful. He would also tell you that he was probably surprised by the efficacy that was stated in a lot of these things. But if he was apprised of the data, which I think at this time he probably was, a lot of what he was doing was not science. Instead, it was 
politics. And the problem with politics is that it allows you to ignore true data and instead cudgel people into doing what you want them to do. So again, I mean, this is an individual that historically it stated this thing is safe and effective and not only is safe and so safe and effective that you as an American citizen shouldn't even have the right to decide whether you take it. Uh, and now his, his view has changed some. In fact, he himself has decided that he's not going to take the last two updated injections and he's not taking them because first he feels like he's smart enough to figure out what his immune system's doing. Well, interestingly enough, he didn't allow you to figure out if you were smart enough to figure out what your immune system was doing just a year or two ago. But now he himself is smart enough to know what his immune system's doing. And given that, he, the all-knowing Paul Offit, is allowed to decide whether he gets these injections, and he has decided against them. And he's decided against them because of a possible risk, a risk that is still not stated, a risk that we might find out in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years. He doesn't seem to care that his recommendations might lead to heart damage in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years, in a lot of people that are much younger than him, that never had a risk of heart issues and heart inflammation. Heck, they might even not, they might not even be alive at this point to even go after Paul Offit for his recommendations. So it is that that has caused the ultimate distrust of these political physicians. And political physicians historically are people that go in line with their party's ideology. And this ideology on this side of the spectrum, at least Paul Offit two years ago, that ideology was I'm smarter than you. Listen to me. Do what I say. I know everything and I know every possible positive and I know every possible negative. But it's funny to hear him now state that every intervention has downsides because that was never stated. And in fact, most people that lined up in parking lots throughout America to do what they were told was the right thing assumed that their government was telling them that things were safe and effective. That's all you ever heard. And even now. So I commend Paul Offit for being honest about why he doesn't get an injection, which you might be surprised is probably a lot more physicians than most of you encounter. Most of the physicians that might be offering this injection, many of them have seen the harm and are avoiding it for themselves while they avoid the outcry or investigation from the state medical boards to openly state that they're not taking it but they're going to offer it. And again, if Paul Offit is smart enough to decide for himself that the benefits don't make up for the risk, then you are too. And in fact, I would think that as each of you look at yourselves, if the biggest vaccine pusher 
in probably the history of the United States is opting out, so would I. Again, this is Dr. Jordan Vaughn on America Out Loud Pulse, iHeartRadio. We will be back. Changing the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back to America Out Loud Pulse on iHeartRadio. I am Dr. Stuart Tankersley and Dr. Jordan Vaughn. This is a segment that is long in coming uh, for any state, if you will, other than what uh, the wonderful Dr. Uh, Lapido in Florida has done. Uh Amazingly, here we are three and a half years later, and there was a preparedness hearing and, um, in the legislature uh, in South Carolina. And they had a Dr. Philip Buckall, uh, who is an expert in um, genomics, if you will. He, um, his expertise in finding out about what... Um, he says, I'm an expert on how the human genome can be mucked with. We're really good at detecting small segments of DNA in places they shouldn't be. And I'm going to, um, and he starts out his testimony with, of course, his resume, which is impressive for what we're discussing today. And he starts out with an interesting couple of uh, statements in that you may have heard the term Occam's razor which is that you should choose the simplest explanation for an occurrence 
uh, not the more complex ones. But then he says, but I really need to talk about Hanlon's razor. And he said, and that uh, statement is, don't attribute malice to that which could be due to incompetence. And then he made the statement, I'm trying to see incompetence just to be gracious. It was clear throughout his 30-minute or so testimony that uh, he, um, while a vaccine advocate, and in fact talked, um, spoke of this uh, vaccine, COVID uh, shot, if you will, he talked about it uh, in not completely disparaging statements. He didn't uh, throw it completely under the bus, but his testimony is extremely important. And I'm going to play a couple of segments of it, beginning at the um, 3.30 mark. And uh, it's very impressive. The Pfizer uh, vaccine is contaminated with plasma DNA. It's not just mRNA. It's got bits of DNA in it. This DNA is the DNA vector that was used um, as the template for the in vitro transcription reaction when they made the mRNA. Um, I know this is true because I sequenced it in my own lab. The vials of Pfizer vaccine that were given out here in Columbia, uh, one of my colleagues was in charge of that vaccination program in the College of Pharmacy. And for reasons that I still don't understand, he kept every single vial. Um, so he had a whole freezer full of the empty vials. Well, the empty vials have a little tiny bit in the, in the bottom of them. He gave them all to me, and I looked at them. We had two batches that were given out here in Columbia, and I checked these two batches, and I checked them by sequencing. And I sequenced all the DNA that was in the vaccine, and I can see what's in there. And it's surprising that there's any DNA in there. and you can kind of work out what it is and how it got there, and I'm kind of alarmed about the possible consequences of this, both in terms of human health and biology, but you should be alarmed about the regulatory process that allowed it to get there. So this DNA, in my view, it could be causing some of the rare but serious side effects like death from cardiac arrest. So there's a lot of cases. I'm going to um, pause here and just, uh, he had a slide up, and he makes several points. I'm going to read those real quick and then let him continue. The Pfizer messenger RNA vaccine is what he looked at. Then he, in another part of the testimony, he says that friends of his, experts uh, in other states, had looked at the Moderna shots uh, vials and had found similar, uh, the same type of uh, plasma DNA vectors, uh, but not in the extraordinary volumes. But a little bit is bad. He talks about why why none of this should ever be in these shots. Uh, and the federal government, he was being gracious once again, um, <laughs> was, um, was incompetent to say the least. So the Pfizer messenger RNA vaccine is contaminated with a plasma DNA vector that was used as the template for in vitro transcription reactions. And this DNA could be the cause of some of the rare but serious side effects like death from cardiac arrest. Another point uh, of these five on on this slide is the DNA can and likely will integrate into the genomes of transfected cells. Major alarm bells should be going off with that. Next is there is a very real hazard. There is a very real hazard for genome modification of long-lived somatic cells, which could cause sustained autoimmune attack toward that tissue. 
So our general cells, not stem cells in our body, but general cells in our body could develop, uh, there could be autoimmune attack against them because of this genomic modification. And then the last point is there is also a theoretical risk of future cancer depending on the piece of DNA and the site of integration. Uh, I'm going to let him continue. I just wanted to get those five points to, um, um, to you. This is now um, a people having suspicious death after vaccine. It's hard to prove what caused it. It's just, you know, temporarily associated. Um, and this DNA is a plausible mechanism. Okay. Uh, this DNA uh, can and likely will integrate into the genomic DNA of cells that got transfected with the vaccine mix. This is just the way it works. We do this in the lab all the time. We take pieces of DNA, we mix them up with a, a lipid complex like the Pfizer uh, vaccine is in. We pour it onto cells, and, and a lot of it gets into the cells, and a lot of it gets into the DNA of those cells, and it becomes a permanent fixture of the cell. It's not just a temporary um, temporary thing. It is in that cell, and all of its progeny from now on forevermore. Amen. So that's why I'm kind of alarmed about this DNA being in the vaccine. It's, it's, it's different from RNA because it can be permanent. This is a real hazard for genome modification of long-lived somatic cells, like stem cells, um, and it could cause, theoretically, this is all a theoretical concern, but it's pretty reasonable based on solid molecular biology, that it could cause a sustained autoimmune attack toward that tissue. It's also a very real theoretical risk of future cancer in some people. Depending on where in the genome this foreign piece of DNA lands, um, it can interrupt a tumor suppressor or activate an oncogene. I think it'll be rare, but I think the risk is not zero, and it may be high enough that we ought to figure out if this is happening or not. And again, the, the, the autoimmunity thing is not my wheelhouse. I'm not an immunologist, but the cancer risk is. That's my bag. I know this is a thing, and it is a possibility. Okay, a, a little nerdy science here. The central dogma of molecular biology is that DNA gets transcribed into RNA, okay? And then RNA gets translated into protein. This is just how life runs. Why, why does this matter? Well, DNA, for the purposes of this discussion, DNA is a long-lived information storage device. Okay, what you were born with, you're going to die with and pass on to your kids. DNA lasts for hundreds of thousands of years, um, and it can last for generations if you pass it on to your kids. Right? So alterations to the DNA, they stick around. RNA, by its nature, is temporary. It doesn't last. And that feature of RNA was part of the sales pitch for the vaccine. The pseudouridine was supposed to make the RNA last a little bit longer, but still, it's a transient phenomenon. We're talking hours to days. I think okay. that's been shown uh, to be much longer than a couple of days. Forever. They, they last for hours to days. But something that makes its way into DNA has the potential to last for a very long time, maybe a lifetime. So this is a picture of the sequencing read that, uh, the sequencing run that I did uh, in the lab, uh, from a couple of batches of Pfizer vaccine. And all those little bitty lines here are the little tiny pieces of DNA that are in the vaccine. They don't belong there. They are not part of the sales pitch or the marketing campaign. And they're there. There's a lot of them. This little graph here in the middle is the size distribution. It's around 100 base pairs, 120 base pairs. So the, the DNA pieces that are in the vaccine are short little pieces, 100, 120. There's some that are about 500 base pairs, a few that are even 5,000. Most of them are around 100 base pairs. Um, why is this important? Because the probability of a DNA a piece of DNA integrating into the human genome is unrelated to its size. So your genome risk is just a function of how many particles there are. So it's like, you know, if you shoot a shotgun at a washboard, if you shoot a slug, you have some probability of hitting it. And if you shoot a buckshot, you have a bigger probability of hitting it with some shot, right? This, all these little pieces of DNA that are in the vaccine are analogous to buckshot. Um, you have many, many thousands of opportunities to modify uh, a 
uh, cell of a vaccinated person. Just to be clear, so you got all of these uh, segments of DNA that are getting inserted into the genome, the, the person's code. And where it lands will be a huge and will lead to many different potential problems. And uh, that's kind of what he's talking about uh, at one point. Uh, the pieces are very small because during the process, they chopped them up to try to make them go away. But they actually increased the hazard of genome modification in the process. That's how they- that is a major statement. Scott here. Um, in my view, uh, somebody should go about sequencing DNA samples from stem cells of people who are vaccinated and find out if this theoretical risk has happened or not. I think this is a real serious... I think this is a real serious potential problem, he says. Do you think? Nobody's talking about this in the mainstream media or NIH or uh, CDC or FDA or in the White House. This is criminal. Negligence at the very least, but this was intentional. This oversight, regulatory oversight that happened at the federal level, and somebody should force this to happen somewhere. Somebody should force this to happen somewhere. Yeah, three and a half years later. You think? Are you capable of doing that? Yeah, it's we do that kind of thing. But in order for it to be trustworthy it, by the public, this has to be done by lots of people. Right? Okay. Um, I'll talk to you more about that later. Yeah, this is our, our deal. This is why I know this should have been done at the federal level. Okay. Um, so we took all these pieces of DNA and we used them to glue together what the source DNA must have been. This is kind of, again, this is our what we do in the lab all the time. And, and all these little little red and green lines here, these are all independent little pieces of DNA. Um, this must add 100,000 pieces of DNA in this, this uh, sequencing run. And you can put them all back together and see what they came from is this circle over here. It's a plasmid that you can go shopping online to buy from Agilent. And it's clear that Pfizer uh, took this plasmid and then they cloned Spike into it. Um, and they used it for in a process called in vitro transcription translation, in vitro transcription, where you feed um, an RNA polymerase, this plasmid, and it makes a whole bunch of mRNA copies for you. Okay, and then you take this mRNA, you mix it with a, the lipid nanoparticle transfection reagent, and now you've got your mRNA vaccine, but they failed to get the DNA out before they did this. So these little pieces, they did, they did make some effort to chop it up. So all these little pieces of the plasmid got packaged in with the RNA. That's clear as day what happened just from the forensics of looking at the DNA sequence. Um, okay, so that is the, got into the weeds there for a few minutes, but that what we're talking about is the changing of the human DNA, the changing of the human genome, with no adverse events expected. Clearly, that's their position, the federal government's position. Who gives a rip? Let her go. And so we're going to skip a uh, skip forward a few minutes, and then he's going to have some conclusions. And I'll read uh, them off of the slide real quick. We should check a bunch of vaccinated people to see if plasmid DNA has integrated into their genomic DNA. Do you think we should have done that by now? And then he says we, and he's pointing at the legislators, and he says, really, you should insist that the U.S. FDA force Pfizer and Moderna to get the DNA out of the booster in all future messenger RNA-based vaccines. Yep. Ah, what a no-brainer. Next, the regulation that allowed the DNA to be there should be changed. 
It's a leftover from previous vaccines that contain only naked DNA. The messenger RNA vaccines have this DNA encapsulated in a lipid nanoparticle delivery system. It's the Trojan horse. And so the DNA is a far more serious issue. And then I just can't stand. I mean, this is people need to be screaming from the rooftops about this. And he uses an analogy, 20 Greek soldiers wandering around outside the walls of Troy are not a big deal. 20 Greek soldiers packed inside a Trojan wooden horse are a different matter. Um, and it's uh, it's just amazing. Um, Find it in the stem cells of harmed people. It's equivalent to finding a certain type of lid in someone who is now dead. It's reasonable to assume that that's what caused it. Uh, the royal we, meaning you guys, should insist that the FDA force Pfizer to get the DNA out of the booster and all future versions of this vaccine. I'm a real fan of this platform. Okay. I think it has uh, going to do this testing. All right. And so then we're going to go to, uh, uh, then we're going to go forward several minutes. And then there are some questions from the state re- uh, legislators. Um, so here's one of them. Uh, I don't know who we would find to do it, well, other than someone like you. I can do it. Lots of other people can do it. Um, I've had a lot of, of um, coroners and pharmacists from different states contact me. I posted all this on Twitter, right? And so people will private message me and say. Now, what he's going to talk about is the coroners. Coroners are elected officials that are uh, in charge of the public health at the county level. And uh, I've been alarmed by this for well over a year now, maybe two years. Um, the coroners have been silent. They have been negligent at the least. The coroners, their obligation is to their community, their local community. I'd like to send you some samples. And then they say, oops, state regulations will not allow our coroner to send any samples for this. So there are some policy issues that can allow this to happen or impede it. I don't know what they are, but I hear that there are mechanisms in place that will but you never hear the coroner screaming about it, telling their legislators, you got to change the rules so I can do what is needed to help my people. Coroners are complicit. You know, you can encourage people to do things or not do things. So that's your wheelhouse, not mine. All I can tell you is what I found in the lab and the scientific implications of it, the policy implications of what to do with it is out of my, it's above my pay grade. Senator Derrick. Thank you for coming today. Um, I think I follow that. It's just not quite as high. I'm skipping ahead. Uh, um, so you were here today, and you've come to present, and you noticed this. Where could you have gone if we didn't have this kind of ad hoc hearing no for this to come? Twitter. So there's no, you, there's, yeah. there's no way for you, even at your level. So a representative is asking him the very important question. Here is this very important information. Who did you go to? Who could you go to to help help us? And he says, nowhere. He had sent information to the FDA, the CDC, NIH. He had sent him all this information. Nobody responded back to him. And he just absolutely lays the wood to state health. Their state health agency has completely failed. Same in Alabama and virtually every other state. They have failed their citizens miserably. I've made the statement before. Public health is public enemy number one during this pandemic. and uh, one of the senators later asked him, what would your advice be? 
And he said, I would hire experts who will tell the feds no. Uh, and then they uh, gets a senator asking questions. Should we believe the feds? And he said, everyone trusted the feds at the beginning, but now I have my doubts. Once again, back to Hanlon's razor. He's being very gracious that they're incompetence, uh, but repeated incompetence, repeated incompetence indicates intent. It's clear. And what he's finally asking for is we need safeguard protections ready, really for people to do the work so the powers that be won't crush them. And the legislature has to create these protections. And at the very end after that uh, advice, one of the state senators tells him if he gets any grief, if he has any, he's going to, he believes this guy is like a whistleblower and he needs protections. But he says, if you tells uh, Professor Buckholz, if you get any pushback, any friction, you let us know. Uh, that is what our legislators have been needing to say, be saying publicly repeatedly time and again we will protect the truth tellers and uh it's been very rare that we hear such bold wonderful statements so um with that uh we thank you for joining us this week on america out loud pulse on iheart radio i am dr Stuart tankersley and we hope you'll have a great week